This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 31. This is Writing Excuses, combining dialogue, blocking, and description. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. <laughs> Wait, I'm not stepping on anybody else's well, line. I just, we're trying to combine things and I'm just doing it sloppily. <laughs> we uh, so are here at the Writing Excuses Seminar and Retreat in, or the Out of Excuses yes. Seminar and Retreat in uh, Chattanooga. That was poorly handled description. Boy. <laughs> yes, Our dialogue it was. and description are really bad. What would bad be nice. awesome is if there were something happening in the background to sell that. <laughs> You Thank just, you for that save. You just want them to cover up our dialogue. Um, this is another topic pitched by those who send email through our website. So thank you guys very much out there for sending in topics for us to talk about. Um, because we love to talk about things. So let's talk about this one. How to combine dialogue blocking description. How to get that balance right. Does anyone have any suggestions for our listeners on how to do this? Well, I think that one of the things we're really talking about here is uh, is basically how to handle exposition yeah. in a lot of ways. Because the thing that you're doing with blocking is trying to figure out where the characters are and, and explaining to the reader where the characters are within the body of the description. Right. All of this, you know, the dialogue that you're doing um, and the description and the blocking, all of that is to provide context for the, ca- for the reader to understand the story going forward. Right. And so you have to provide it to them in the order in which they are asking questions, essentially. Right. So, and uh, with, as I was telling the class I was teaching earlier today, um, one of the things that you look at is where that question is going to pop up. If the question is going to pop up in the middle of action and you have to slow down to answer it, that will break things. You need to provide it before you get to the action. So a a good example of this, Mm -hmm. um, strangely, is from film. Uh, Jackie Chan films. Right. When he was doing them himself, have fantastic blocking because he establishes the geography, which is basically, let me give you a little bit of description to show you where everybody Mm -hmm. is, and then the fight happens and you can see it because you know the blocking, because you already have the context to understand. Jackie Chan in Hollywood, on the other hand, the camera moves around so frenetically and jumps from cut to cut so fast that you do not know where any character is standing at any point, and it becomes much more difficult to follow what's happening with the fight. So when you're talking about that in writing, basically what you do is you use your description to establish your scenic location and mm-hmm. theoretically use your POV character to, um, to also, so that you're also masking the fact that you're doing description right. by having it do double duty, by right. having it tell us something about the character. Now, so um, talk. the <laughs> way I approach this um, has to do with this idea of the pyramid of abstraction, which I believe I've Ooh. talked about. Have I not, never talked I've about that? I've not heard this one. Wow. Okay, pyramid or, of abstraction is something I was taught in college, not by one of my professors, but by a, a fellow student, which is where I learned most of the useful stuff I learned <laughs> of writing-wise um, in, in um, writing programs. And the student, he talked about this thing. Um, it was this, this awesome idea that um, in, to keep someone in a story... What you do is you lay concrete description as the bottom of your pyramid Hmm. to be this sort of basis upon which you are going to pile lots of um, abstract thoughts and things like this. And so if you set the scene concretely, 
then you can talk about abstract things. And your definition of what is abstract depends on what you sell, you're trying to do. But dialogue gets pretty abstract. You can just have you know these voices coming out you at you. But when dialogue is broken up by a lot of beats, it can actually kind of slow the dialogue down. And so I look at this as a, I set the scene in a very concrete way. And I'm looking to be concrete. We've talked about this before. Dan's um, advice on this is make the small detail something big. But, um, but ignore some of the big details. So, you know, the, the water that is, is dripping into a puddle of oil, and so you can see the shimmering, that's a concrete image. And you set a few of these concrete images using multiple senses to set where we are, and also using the character's description of them to tell us who, who the, what the character is, you know, how they feel. Um, if that character you know, notices that because they're a plumber, and they're like, wow, that leak needs to be fixed, it also tells us something about character. And then I will transition into the dialogue and I will use beats, which will move people through this room, but I will s start using fewer and fewer beats as the, um, as the description gets more and more frantic. Or not description, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's more and more frantic, and it's the back and forth, and they're arguing, and something passionate is happening, and I want to use as little as possible in there. And then I'll bring it back out by having something in the environment bring us out and re-cement us in this scene with something concrete, a noise, um, you know, a honk, a, um, a flash of light, the light bulb breaks when he flips on the light switch, something that, that pops us back out in here and doesn't let us drift off into white room of voices talking. And I love how a, a scene can do that and keep us there. And the concrete language keeps us there. But you don't want a lot of that concrete language in the middle of your dialogue always. Yeah, and, and I want to point out that part of what is happening there is um, that one of the reasons, you, you'll hear the advice, don't start with dialogue. Right. And, and the reason people offer that advice is that it is very rare in real life that you would hear someone's voice and be able to tell nothing about them. Uh -huh. You can usually tell, you know, something about age. You have some, you will assign gender to the voice. So when you start with a, a line of dialogue, you've basically started without any context at all and your reader then has to reset. Uh -huh. So what Brandon is talking about with this pyramid of abstraction is that he's talking about providing the context that the reader needs to understand. And when they get farther into that dialogue, the reason that he can drop all of this concrete description is because he's already provided the context so the audience, the reader, is then filling in the blanks. They already know, okay, well, when this person is irritated, they, they, she tugs her braid. Right. And so you don't have to say anything about tugging the braid multiple times. I probably shouldn't have used that example. <laughs> oh, that's okay. We are all in Wheel of Time fandom. Very fond of the braid in this sort of, sort of annoyed at the braid fondness sort of way. So it, it is actually a perfect example. And in new writers, something I see a lot. Um, this happened in my class this last year. Like every other person that was turning something in was adding a beat. And if you don't know, um, if you're not listening, if you don't understand beat, beat is where you say, you know, he moved to the other side of the room and then he talks. Like it's when you add an action to a dialogue. They were adding a beat to every line of dialogue and they were adding a little bit of description to everything because they'd heard from writing advice that you want to interweave these things. You don't want to laden us with a whole bunch of description. You want to have dialogue in between, which is the right advice, but they took it too far. So they modified everything and it was so annoying to read. Yeah, the other thing that happens, and I will say this as an audiobook narrator, is that each of those lines of dialogue functions as a pause in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that happens whether you are reading it to yourself or you are, are hearing someone narrate it. So if I said, will you pass me the, the water? She put her pen down on the page. And uh, thank you for the water. 
basically what the, that mm -hmm. reads for the, the listener is, would you pass me the water? Thank you for the water. Right. You can't have my water, Mary. Oh, fine. <laughs> um, Howard, do you do any of this in your... <laughs> in the... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that wow. Was, I'm that pretty Mary, sure that was, that was Mary <laughs> withering and dry. Oh, oh, oh right. Oh, I see. <laughs> How did I lose control of this so quickly? <laughs> you you asked Howard. Yes, to talk. back on task, Howard. How do you mix your um, action in your <laughs> narrative when, with well, your dialogue? How do you decide? First of all, first of all, there's a project that I'm uh, I'm struggling with right now, which is a, a horror story for uh, Space Eldritch Two, um, and and I'm realizing that I I want to be because it's short and because there are a lot of things I want to accomplish with it. Um, I'm coming in late, and I am making a list of the things that I feel the reader needs to know soon, needs to know early, and I'm trying to lay this layer of concrete as quickly as I can in the opening scene while, uh, in the current incarnation of the opening scene, um, our, uh, our point of view character um, and the other characters are examining dead bodies, mm -hmm. um, and and it's it's really it's really difficult. But what I found that I that sort of naturally happened is uh -huh. that once I started giving the characters dialogue, um, it didn't feel right to keep throwing description in there. They needed right. to be talked, even though they are pulling out instruments and doing things. Um, I need to have them talking about what they're reading on the instruments. Rather right. than I am pulling out an instrument and doing a thing, um, so essentially what I'm saying is thank you for the pyramid. You may have just saved my story. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, within the comic, the mm -hmm. the pacing of these sorts, I get to I get to use pictures. Yep. And so there are a lot of things that I can do to save time. But one of the things that you'll find anytime you're reading comics is that there are a lot of close shots of character faces. Mm -hmm. When characters are talking, and I don't want to draw backgrounds, I mean when characters are talking and, you don't and, want to distract. To, and yes. I don't want to distract from the dialogue, I will pull in tight on the faces and, uh, and I will run inset panels um, with, with just dialogue in them. And sometimes, uh, and, and this is the... Um, this is the equivalent of the said bookism, of the mm -hmm. blocking, uh, of the, you know, he, he said angrily, and then he scowled. Right. Um, well, I don't have to say he said angrily. I can draw his face angry, mm -hmm. which is a huge boon. And then I can draw another panel of his facial expression changing. And I have added a beat mm -hmm. to, I have added a beat to the scene. I've added a pause. And because of what I'm doing... It's a pause that is, I think, more difficult to pull off right. in prose. You look at that facial expre expression change, and you you ask yourself, "What's going on in his head?" Um, anyway, so that that's one way in which I do this. Okay. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop for our book of the week. Mary, you had the book of the week. It was Bloody Jack. Yes, this is Bloody Jack by L.A. Myers. This is a wonderful wonderfully narrated book. Uh, it's in first person, and the narrator is Catherine Kelgren, who knocks it out of the park. This is basically, it is not fantasy or science fiction, uh, but it's set in the Napoleonic Wars about a London street urchin, a young girl who runs away to sea and disguises herself as a boy, mm-hmm. and about the adventures that she has as a, uh, as a, basically a cabin boy in His Majesty's Navy, Navy for two years. One of the things that is interesting in in the context that we are talking about right here is that at the beginning of the book, there is a lot of narration and a lot of the character talking about this is what uh, is going to happen. When we get into the ship, there are big sections where it feels like it is just dialogue and almost nothing else is, almost no description. But it's wonderfully narrated. I highly recommend it. Uh, don't read it while you are driving because the um, you will cry a little and that's dangerous. <laughs> okay. Howard, okay. how can they get it? AudiblePodcast.com slash excuse. Start yourself a 30-day free trial membership. Download a copy of... Mm. Bloody Jack. Bloody Jack. Um, as narrated by Catherine Kelger, and I forgot the author's name. I'm horrible L.A. Myers. L.A. Myers. I'm so sorry. That's all um, right. You're just still parched but, from the, the water <laughs> that you didn't get to drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dan. Go. Well, now, Brandon, you hit on something earlier that I want to emphasize a little more when you were talking about the pyramid, which is that uh, the, th- the the descriptions that you give while in a character's head right. can reveal a, l- a lot about that character. Right. And I want to emphasize that a little bit more, that you can use that to demonstrate so much about who a character is based on what they notice and how they notice it. Right, and this is this is how you really should be as writers in most cases giving us character moments is how they see the world. Um, and you should be, should be, we yeah, use that term a lot. This is a tool in your chest, your toolbox that you can use. It's a very good one. It's one that I highly recommend. And in doing so, you give us a lot about the character while you mix in the description. The way I describe it is that when two people walk into the room at the same time, yeah. if, if they're both going into a kitchen, the baker will notice the butter on the counter, right. and the painter will notice the crooked painting. And by what they notice, you can slip in some of this description and have it do double duty. And right. that's a lot of what we're talking about, is making sure that you are doing things that serve two functions. Right. Now, the actual question to us was about combining the dialogue blocking and description. Um, and I do want to say, I, I've talked about this pyramid of distraction. I'd still put beats in. Don't, don't get oh, yeah, me yeah. wrong. Yeah. It's not, but in, in the middle of a, a dialogue, I'll be looking to put a beat every four or five lines. 
And instead of at the beginning when I'll do a beat, you know, for the first two lines, there might be a beat in each one of those, and then I'll transition out of that. Or I might start with, you know, one line, you know, someone says something, then we get a paragraph description. And then someone else says something, we get a beat. And then we move into the discussion. And then we, I still will do these beats. I still will be moving people around so that we don't lose all of this. But I still want those those descriptions to be concrete. I don't always want them to be a ton about the character though. Yeah. I don't want to stop for a paragraph in the middle of a dialogue if I can avoid it. Sometimes I will cheat when I have, mm -hmm. uh, when I'm writing and I have, uh, this isn't actually cheating, but what I'll do is I'm writing and I hit the dialogue and I totally know how that conversation is going to flow. So when I'm writing it, rather than stopping and doing description, mm -hmm. um, I will mark pauses mm. and, and, dis and so I'll you know, I'll say, I'll do whatever the line he is, and then I just do bracket pause, whatever the line he is, whatever the next rest of the line is. Um, and sometimes body language mm -hmm. um, to indicate the, the right. nonverbal portion of the conversation. And a lot of the beats that we're talking about are the ones that represent pauses in the conversation and right. the nonverbal communication that's going right. on. And a beat does replace a he said or she said. Yes. You can just say, mm -hmm. he scowled. Mm -hmm. And that, and that is, is so much better said. than he said angrily. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, this this is a case where reading your work out loud mm -hmm. can help you identify where some of these beats need to go. Yeah. And I'll actually find as I go back and do readings of like the early serial killer books that I did not read out loud to myself because I didn't know that technique yet. I'll find dumb stuff where I'm like, oh, I totally needed to put a beat in there. And so I'll do it in, <laughs> I'll add it into my reading because mm -hmm. I know now that it needs to be there. Okay. Um, our writing prompt is actually again going to be Mary because she has a writing exercise for this on her website. Yeah. So basically I'll give you the short form of this and then you, uh, we've got the, the actual link in the liner notes. Um, basically what I want you to do is sit down and just write description, not worrying about anything else, just write description for half an hour. And, and yeah, I, I really mean half an hour because that's going to force you to dig deep into what you can describe in a Set room. Set a timer. Yes. Set a timer and don't let your fingers stop. Believe me, you'll hate me for a little bit and then you'll be like, oh, try to use all five senses. Then what I want you to do is go back and rewrite just as a paragraph, one paragraph, so that we know that the person who is in that room is a specific person. Um, so it's a ballerina, it's a school teacher, it's a fireman, whatever it is. But you cannot say the words ballerina, school teacher, fireman. Mm. So, that, so that just by POV you let us know what they are. And then I want you to go back and do one more pass in which you let us know uh, their emotional state. And this time you're only allowed three sentences. Um, and you should be able to let us know their emotional state and their occupation and what the room looks like in three sentences. Um, and that is one way that you can handle blocking and and uh, that. And then the other th exercise that I have on the site is uh, narration and context. And there you're going to find a transcript, so you don't have to write the dialogue yourself, but you're just going to provide the context to go with the dialogue. And there are long instructions on how to do this on my site. Excellent. That's less writing prompt and more homework. That's yes, right. that's right. I've given you homework. <laughs> well... <laughs> This has been Ryan Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go do your homework. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction.
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 